Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. Thank you for taking the time on this July 4th to come and worship. What better place to be this morning than with other followers of Jesus Christ, ready to open the Word and to glean of its truth. So I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 2. As you're turning, just a couple brief words starting with this one. Happy birthday to the United States of America. We're thankful for this great country we live in over this last year and a half, especially this temptation to be discontent, to find issues. Nonetheless, we're thankful to God for this place in which we live. I think we're having a couple issues with the keynote. Is this ready to pop in there? That's right. Well, we're figuring this out. I would just like to say it is great to have you here today. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're thankful you're here. If you're a regular attender here this morning, we're thankful you're here. We're just grateful to God that he brought you to worship with us this morning. Um, A couple quick words in regard to this week. I think it's going to come up here. Is it ready to, to shine up here? If not, that's all right. We can say something at the end. I was going to call out this morning a uh, word of gratitude to all of our VBS workers. Um, we were going to show some pictures. I don't know if they'll come up. We'll see. We'll see if they will. No? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. If you graciously serve God this week in VBS, would you stand this morning and we can recognize you? We want to share with you a word of thanks. Go ahead, don't be shy. Would you stand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for teaching our young ones the ways of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, we pray that God would take these words that, uh, that you taught the children this week and that it would have been driven deep into their hearts. I think... We'll forego these, these pictures unless we can get that figured out. We'll continue on. All right. Okay. Well, you're in Romans chapter 2, so we're going to make our way. You're going to rely heavily this morning, if this, especially if this doesn't work, on these notes right here. All right. We're going to walk through this passage. I'm going to say this is, this is not the easiest passage in the world to walk through. But nonetheless, this is one that I am thankful to God that we get to jump into today. Um, We're going to jump right into reading this passage. If you want to turn it over, you can find it on the back side of your handout there. Would you join me in following along as I read Romans chapter 2. We'll start with verse 1. I'm going to skip down to verse 5, and then this morning we're going to focus primarily on verses 6 through 11. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, here it goes. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I'm not going to go back and review all of that today. Um, I would encourage you, if you want to jump into that, we talked pretty extensively about this last week. But I want us to jump into verse 5. 
Verse 5 says this, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. All right, let's go to verse 6. But because of your hard and in, sorry, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. <laughs> what, what did we just read? You come to church this morning, you're ready to receive some great encouragement from God, and then you read about this wrath and judgment. Well, I might remind all of us that in order to see the brilliance of the good news, we must see the ugliness of the bad news. And that's where we're at in Romans chapter 2. In order for us to see the shining brilliance of the white, of the pearl, we must see it on the dark black background. And right now, that is where we're at in the book of Romans. Clearly, Paul is making the point in this passage that God's righteous condemnation of sin is not partial. This very precise statement that is not up there yet. Hey, there we go. Something showed up there. Thank you for your patience. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll look at those later. How's that sound? All right. I'm going to tell you what. There's a lot of distractions this morning. Would you join me in praying again? Um, praying that God would give us grace. I, I felt that the last couple of days, that God really, obviously, wants this to be preached and proclaimed courageously, what we're about to talk about today, but there has been resistance from the wicked one. Would you join me in praying God's grace again as we open this passage? Oh God, I just pray. You know the distractions in my mind right now, the distractions we have as a body, and I pray by your grace that we would understand this passage. God, the wicked one does not want us to hear about this righteous condemnation. Oh God, I pray that we would hear it clearly and that you would give grace for us to understand it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to read verse 11 again if you would highlight this verse in your minds. For God shows no partiality. Clearly, Paul is making this point in Romans chapter 1, traveling into Romans chapter 2, that God's righteous condemnation of sinners is not partial. All right. This very precise statement written in our Bibles for God shows no partiality. 
God's condemnation of sinners is not based on outward human distinctions, not race, not ethnicity, not politics, not social status, not finances. God's condemnation of sinners is based solely on one thing. And what is that one thing? Sin. And that is the passage we're in this morning. Verse 6 says this, God will render to each one according to his works. All right, so this morning we're going to be in verses 6 through 11 of this wonderful passage. We're journeying through this. But before we unpack this passage, what do we need to do? I want us to go back and remind ourselves where we're at. Especially if you're visiting with us this morning, this review will be important. Where are we in this journey through Romans? Well, after the wonderful introduction, you can kind of see this uh, outline in the back of your handout. After this wonderful introduction to this epistle, we are now in what's known as the first major section of the book of Romans. All right, this section, as we talked the last couple weeks, actually the last six weeks, this section runs from chapter 118 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. And what is the primary point of all of these chapters? Here it is. Every single human being deserves God's righteous condemnation. Okay, so this is very clearly the ugliest part of all of the book of Romans. And we're neck deep in this ugliness. And so what happens when you go to the first part of chapter 1? We see this confrontation, as it were, this condemnation of what's known as this the truth-suppressing pagans. All right, these would be the Gentiles. These are those who can see clearly God and His power, and they suppress it. They ignore it. We came across and we really analyzed this key truth. All truth-suppressing pagans deserve the condemnation of a righteous God. Then we traveled into this section, 2, 1 through 3, 8. This is where we're at right now, is this bold on the back of your handout. Chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 8, Paul shifts the guilt focus to another group. All right, so then the congregation there in Rome, all right, these Roman followers of Christ who are listening to this epistle being read by Paul, and they're sitting there, and they're thinking in this mixed group of Jews and Gentiles, mostly Gentiles, some Jews. They're listening to Paul's epistle being read. And as they're working through this, you kind of get this picture as we talked last week that these Jewish worshipers are kind of sitting back a little bit and they're like, yeah, I told you so. Those people are the bad people. I praise God that I'm not in chapter 1 of Romans. And what you get is this sense of this self-righteousness. They're thinking, yeah, I know I I do some bad things. I might have broken one of the Ten Commandments like five years ago. That's the sense of their mind. Well, Paul now shifts. He like, it's like he takes his, his bony theological fingers and points it from these truth-suppressing Gentile pagans and says, hey, for a second, let's look at something different. Let's look at how God's condemnation is righteous for all self-righteous worshipers of God. And you watch these believers, actually, who he's writing to, who have this tendency to be self-righteous to start to maybe slide down in their chairs a little bit. 
That's where we're at in Romans chapter 2. Last week, we kind of broke down this, this key idea, this key truth with reason number one. Here's the first reason Paul gives us last week that, that all self-righteous worshipers deserve the condemnation of a righteous judge. Here it is. God's kindness will not ignore hypocrisy. And I've been thinking about that all week. I don't know if you're able to wrap your mind by God's grace around this concept. We're so good at pointing that finger while three of these fingers are pointing right back at us. Just because we're good at pointing the finger does not mean we avoid God's righteous condemnation. Well, now he shares a reason number two. Here is reason number two. Why do all self-righteous worshipers deserve the condemnation of a righteous God? Here it is. Because God's judgment is always, always, always impartial. This is the focus of these next six verses. All right, the self-righteous worshipers who thought they were good with the big man upstairs, the Creator. They thought they were good with the one that gave them the law through Moses. That thought they were good because they come from the patriarch Abraham. These self-righteous ones that were reading this and analyzing this, Paul says, nope, you need to realize something. That you worship a God whose justice is not based on skin color or ethnicity. God's justice is always, and we must get this into our minds, God's justice is always, always, always colorblind. Would you look with me just at verse 6? Here it is. God's judgment is always impartial. First of all, He will render to each one according to His works. Alright, this doesn't hold back at all. What is the basis of God's judgment? It is not some exclusivity because of ethnicity. It is based on one's own works. Here's how he says it. He will render. This is talking about the God of righteous wrath in this passage. He will render. In other words, He will reward. He will pay out in a future payday. That's what this God is doing. This God of wrath. He will render to you. Paul is confronting these self-righteous ones in a sense and telling them the God of righteous wrath will reward you at a payday. You're getting a payday. He will reward each one of you to every single individual. So the temptation, if you just put your minds in, uh, we can wrap our minds about where this context is. These, these people that are, that are worshiping God, they, the, Yahweh, they're steeped in traditionalism and moral elitism. They've worshipped God because that's what their dad did and their granddad did and their great-granddad did. They're worshiping God out of tradition. And they're safe in their own minds. Because they formally worshipped God. And God says, no, 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 no. It's not based on the group. This is not a group project. This is based on your own personal sin before a holy God. And that's exactly what he says with these four words. According to his works. 
according to his deeds, according to his actions. And now verse 11. So in this section, verses 6 through 11, you find like two capstones. Verse 6, and you could actually put a because in front of that if you'd like. Here's the reason in verse 11, because. And then there's information in the middle that helps support this whole concept. But here's verse 11. For God shows no partiality. No ifs, ands, or buts. God Almighty, the great creator and sustainer of all life, shows no favoritism, no respect of persons, no special like wink-wink connections with the God of creation. God's condemnation of sinners is not based on or even slightly influenced by any ethnic, racial, or social distinctions. Again, we must understand very clearly that the God of the Bible is a God of justice, and God's justice is always colorblind. Now, as you go through these verses, there's two primary points to be made from these seven verses, six into seven. First of all, God's judgment of sinners is not influenced by ethnic distinctions. And secondly, God's just judgment of sinners is based on individual works. What you have done before God. Let's just start with the first one. God's just judgment of sinners is not influenced by ethnic distinctions. I know this is something that we realize this is something that we've been taught since we were little ones, and we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. We've, saw, we've sang this about red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. We know these things, but my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a reminder that we must take from the book of Romans this morning. God's just judgment of sinners is not influenced by ethnic distinctions. Would you look with me at verses 9 and 10? And keep an eye out for a repeated phrase because this is where the focus lies. Here it is. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. The glory, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. All right, so what is the repeated phrase? Very clearly, here it is. The Jew first and also the Greek. Um, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not complicated. Simply enough, Paul, Paul's point is that God's condemnation and God's blessings are both possible for both Jews and Gentiles alike. It is not exclusive to Jews. It is not exclusive to Gentiles. It is both alike. In other words, Jews have never had the luxury of enjoying blessings and ignoring condemnation. All right, we, under, we need to understand that this is built on the backdrop of the entire Old Testament. Not one time in the Old Testament do the Jews have the luxury, the privilege of ignoring God's condemnation based on personal sin. Even though the Jews may have felt privileged because they came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of all people, they should know that it should never, ever be said that God is a God that ignores personal sins in a precise way at His precise time with his precise means 
God will always deal with sin. Even the sin of those who came from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, God's impartiality is such an important point for us to take as we work through the Bible. I mean, primarily, let's think about the New Testament. I mean, here's, here's a couple passages to write down, if you'd like. I'm not going to go deep into these passages, but in our minds, we need to run to Acts chapter 10. What's happening in Acts chapter 10? All right, the ministry of the gospel to the Jews in the first part of Acts. But now Peter is ministering to this man named Cornelius. And very clearly, as he ministers to this man Cornelius, who is coming to God by grace through faith, here's what Peter says. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. This is a biblical fact, my friends. Listen to how Paul explains this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Here it is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are of Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Colossians to the church of Colossae in chapter 3, verse 11. He says this, There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It is not about these social or ethnic distinctions that we commonly gravitate towards. No, Jesus Christ levels the ground at the foot of the cross. There is no ethnicity. What's the point? God's gracious justice is always colorblind. All right. In humility, our justice must also be colorblind. I was just thinking through this this week. Would you give me just five minutes for pastoral observation and encouragement this morning based on what? Based on the world we live in today. Based on the 21st year of the 21st century, all right? Based on what we're seeing in culture all around us right now. What am I talking about? We're talking about a world that has just experienced a massive flare-up in racial tension. Please understand that. You turn on the news any day of the last year and a half to two years, and you're going to find a segment on abused racism. We're living in a world... That like a sleeping giant, racism has been resurrected and is being wielded like a weapon. We're living in a world full of what is called racial profiling or systemic racism or social injustice. All concepts that can be supposedly be remedied by the ideologies of BLM or the promotion of the critical race theory, and I'm not going to get into all that today. Maybe a discussion, a private discussion for another time. 
But this world, this is a world we live in where many of us who don't have a racist bone in our body are being implicated based on events of the past and are being forced to admit that we are somehow racist at our core. This is the world we live in. The racial tension around us is undeniable. What must our response be? What must your response be in the racial tension world we live in right now? And, and, and please understand, this is coming from the bottom of a pastoral heart. I was taken the last year and a half on my own with tears before Almighty God trying to figure out how to work through this on my own. And I would say this, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us refuse to get distracted from the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Refuse it. Don't get distracted from the fact that Jesus saves souls, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. A gospel that confronts true condemnation with true restoration. True love. I mean, honestly, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we would simply obey the first and second commands of the Scriptures, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, we would find a huge fix to this problem. Let us refuse to get distracted from the gospel of Jesus Christ by godless schemes or systems and theories, but let us as boldly as we possibly can promote this gospel, a gospel that empowers true forgiveness over generational bitterness, a gospel that teaches selfless actions over demanded rights, a gospel that promotes heavenly citizenship over racial elitism, a gospel that promotes grace and mercy and kindness over vindication and retribution. A gospel that teaches us to love God with our whole beings. And in doing so, we are to selflessly love our neighbors as ourselves. That is this gospel. A gospel that teaches us that red and yellow, black and white, yes, 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 every day they are precious in His sight. A gospel that will eventually lead us. And this is the joy of the Scriptures. As you work through and get to Revelation, you will find that we will worship the Lamb for all eternity. We will bow and sing to this Lamb. And here it is. With all kindred and tribe and people and nation, we will forever worship King of kings and Lord of lords. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not be distracted from the glorious gospel of our Savior. Why? Why, why, why? And I keep going in my mind this week back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the theme of this entire book. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And guess what it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We serve a God that is not persuaded by human distinctions. And in this passage, we clearly see that God's just judgment of sinners is not influenced by ethnic distinctions. So if God's judgment of sinners is not based on human distinctions, then 
my friends, what is it based on then? Well, that is the whole point of these six verses. If it's not based on skin color or social, uh, social status, then what is it based on? What is God's just condemnation based on? And it's clearly directly in this text. God's just judgment of sinners is based on individual works. It's based on your response to a holy God. Not you and 100,000 other people. It's based on your individual response to a holy God. And how do we see that? Would you read with me again, verses 6 through 10? Paul says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Skip to verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Okay, so what is this? Well, simply enough, Paul is redirecting the focus of the self-righteous worshipers, these Jewish believers Oh, worshipers, I should say, away from this group ethnic privilege and onto personal accountability before a holy God. Based on what? Individual deeds before God. Personal responsibility for sin. He will render to each one according to his deeds, his works. You want to know the irony of this phrase right here? This phrase is a direct quote from the Old Testament. So what is Paul doing to these self-righteous Jews? He's going right to a phrase that's quoted in, uh, it's quoted in Job and Psalms and Proverbs and at least once, almost twice in Jeremiah. And what is he saying? You know it because it's in your Scripture. The Old Testament of the Scripture says this, He will render to each one according to His works. In verses 7-10, through now we find a description of two different types of people. So this is really neat what Paul does. In verses 7 and 10, he describes one type of person. In verses 8 and 9, he describes another type of person. In verses 7 and 10, he describes a saved person. All right? A regenerate person who is consumed with God. And because he is consumed with God, he is a doer of good. All right? Then you find in verses 8 and 9 an unbelieving person, an unsaved person. This is a person who is consumed with me and does evil. He's consumed with himself. Well, let's just analyze these. First, first one let's look at is verses 7 and 10. Let's look at the saved people. And by the way, there's a lot of discussion over these four verses. <laughs> it would take us weeks to work through all the discussion, but I think it's helpful to just go with it this morning and say these would be saved people, verses 7 and 10. Here's what verse 7 says, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. Verse 10, But glory and honor and peace for everyone who 
does what? Good. All right. So maybe you're squirming a little bit right now. Why? Because there ought to be an alarm going off in your theological mind right now. (laughs) What's that alarm going off? Uh, Hold on, Pastor Andrew. I thought the Bible taught that salvation was not of good works. And I would say you're absolutely 100% correct. Biblical salvation can never be earned. But remember, this is coming off of the hills of Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. What has he clearly said in Romans 1, 16 and 17? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Biblical salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But catch this. True faith will lead to a changed life. That is the point of Paul through the book of Romans. True faith will lead to a changed life. This is the repentance that we just learned about last week. This is repentance. Paul is describing the good deeds of repentance. What we have here in verses 7 and 10, without going into a massive description or discussion on this, is an expression of true faith from saved people. Paul is not contradicting himself. He is simply describing the fact that true salvation will always be expressed with a changed life. He is expressing here a changed life. Now hold on, because the rest of the book of Romans, we're going to get more information about this new life. It comes only through Jesus Christ. But on the contrary, though, here, is, here are the two verses that more precisely prove his point. This is the point that Paul is going at in these five verses Verse 8, talking about these unsaved people who are self-consumed doers of evil. Even though they consider themselves to be worshipers of Yahweh, to be traditional elites who follow the law, these are unsaved people who are self-consumed doers of evil. And here's what verse 8 says, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Paul doesn't hold back here. What is the end to the self-righteous worshiper who will not come to Jesus Christ in saving faith and biblical repentance? Here it is. Wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Clearly, self-seeking sinners who do not obey the truth will experience God's just condemnation. And it's worth noting exactly how Paul describes this just condemnation. Here it is. Wrath, fury, tribulation, distress. So, to quickly summarize these verses that we looked at today, what is Paul's point, his clear point about self-righteous worshipers? What's his point? Here it is. God's just judgment of sinners is not based on 
ethnic or social privilege. God's judgment of sinners is not based on social distinctives, but on individual sinful deeds before a holy God. So what? I mean, praise God we're continuing on in Romans chapter 2, because I don't know how much more of this I can take. I mean, you're coming and we're seeing the darkness of sin. But my friends, my brothers in Christ, it's necessary to hear these things. This is the Word of the living God and we must analyze these things. In order for us to see the beauty of Romans chapter 4, 5, and 6, we must see the ugliness of chapters 1, 2, and 3. We must see that this is a God whose condemnation is justified. This passage means something to us today. And I would have to say when we look at this, so what? I mean, because that's what we always want to do. Before we leave and walk out these doors, we want to say, so what? All right, we kind of helped build a theology of salvation and condemnation today. This soteriology. But what, what does theology with shoes on mean for you this week? <laughs> What does it mean for us as we walk our way, from young to old? What is this going to mean when we get in our cars today, this passage? Well, I would think we'd have to ask this precise question today. Each one of us asks this. Do you realize that social distinctions can never exempt you from God's righteous condemnation? Simply enough, if we want to bring this to right where we're at, I understand this is not a great Jewish-Gentile distinction here in this congregation, but I will tell you, the temptation of our wicked hearts is the same. We must realize that our affiliation to a group will not save us. Our church membership or attendance record will not save us. Our Christian upbringing or family ties will not save us. Catch this on this July 4th. Our citizenship to this great country as proud Americans will not save us. I appreciate what R.C. Sproul says on this. In his commentary on Romans, he says this, many people think that because they are members of a church or some special group, their membership will get them into the kingdom of God. Paul is here warning people who think that their membership in a particular human group will guarantee their exclusion from the judgment God has appointed at the end of the age. No matter how many groups we are members of, there is one thing we must keep before our eyes constantly. In the final analysis, when we stand before Almighty God, we stand alone. I cannot appeal to the righteousness of my father or the righteousness of my mother or the righteousness of my sister or the greatness of the church to which I belong. I have to answer for my life by myself before the throne of God. Have you embraced that sobering reality? This is not the, the judgment seat of uh, the great white throne judgment of God is not a group project. 
because God clearly sees our sin. The only legitimate answer is Jesus. That's where this is all leading. This condemnation and Paul calling these people out, these self-righteous worshipers who who are basing their eternal destiny on their ethnicity and their social status. And Paul is saying, no, no, that's not going to work. So then what is the only thing that will work? It's not a thing, it is a person. The only legitimate answer is Jesus. The only one who can deal properly with our sin is Jesus. The point of the passage is this. We desperately need Jesus. It doesn't matter what our upbringing is. We need Jesus. It doesn't matter how many times we went to church before we were four years old. We need Jesus. It doesn't matter how many church votes you were on in as a church member. We need Jesus. That is the point of this passage. For my unbelieving friends here today that God has sovereignly brought by His grace Will you embrace the fact that not one single social distinction in your life will blind God from seeing your sin? In all love and grace, I would say this to you, the only biblical way to deal with your sin is through Jesus Christ. You, my friend, need Jesus. Today, on this July 4th, 2021, Would you find the freedom of grace? Would you admit that you're a sinner before a holy God? Would you believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? When you call on Jesus this very day to save your soul. This week, meditating on this very familiar verse, for by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of your works, lest someone should boast about it. For my believing friends here today, would you continue to embrace the fact that because we are only saved by God's grace, there is no room for elitism in the body of Christ? Would you embrace that? With all we have, along with myself and the other elders at Cross Point, will you ardently oppose any sort of social or racial or cultural elitism in the body of Christ? Would you love as Jesus loves? Along with Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, will you confidently proclaim Colossians 3, there is not Greek nor Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. So God, that's the prayer of our hearts. I want to thank you for this ugly passage. I thank you for what it's doing in my own heart. The propensities of my own flesh to find some sort of social elitism, Oh God, I found myself praying this this week, crying the same as Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
All of who we are, all of who we will be is only by your grace, God. And I pray that this church, Cross Point Community Church, would be a church that is not steeped in social elitism. It's not a church that bases its opinion even in the slightest on the ethnic distinctions. Oh God, that we would love every single person as a member of the human race, your people. God, I pray that you'd please give us grace. I want to thank you for this passage. And I pray today, Father, that if there's anyone here who has never come to you, saving faith that this very day would be the day. My friends here today, as we continue in a spirit of prayer, I might close out with this. It is no mistake that you are here today. For whatever reason, even if you're visiting with us, and you had to go to Romans chapter 2 with us, God wanted you here. He wanted you here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've never really heard it quite the way we talked of it today. But you need to know this by God's grace. You need to know that you were born into this world as a sinner against a holy God. Not one single good thing you could ever do will erase that sin. Because of that sin, you are condemned to eternal separation from God in what the Scriptures calls a place called hell. That's the Bible. But the beauty of the Bible that we study today is that God in His grace and mercy and kindness did not leave you without a substitute. And that substitute is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, went to the cross of Calvary and suffered and bled and died for our sins. He took on Himself on the cross our sins. But my friend, it's not enough just to know that in the top of your head. It's not enough just to memorize verses about this. The Scripture says to believe in your heart. Paul to this Philippian jailer about to take his own life in Acts chapter 16. This jailer who says, what must I do to be rescued? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I would encourage you with all I have this morning to come to Jesus Christ in saving faith this very day. And there may be some listening, even as you're driving your car right now on the radio, I would encourage you, pull your car over. Call out to this gracious God to save your soul. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and call on Him to save your soul this very day. There's some that are here today that are wrestling with this. I would be happy to talk with you more about this after the service. There's others here in the congregation that would be more than happy to talk with you and pray with you about the anxiety on your own heart. Do not delay. 
You may need to go home and wrestle through the truths that we talked of today. But don't ignore the drawing of the Spirit in your life. My friend, come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. For those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, would you pray this with me this very day that the Gospel would so transform our lives that we also do not see these social distinctions. In a world that's consumed right now with racial distinctions, that we would live the body of Christ that says, you're my brother in Jesus. That every single person who ever comes into Cross Point Community Church knows that there's a body of believers that loves them no matter what their background is, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their financial status is, that there's a body of believers that loves them because Jesus loves them. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts today. Thank you for this passage that we could walk through today. And our prayer is that we would serve you faithfully, And that we would trust your word. That your word truly is sufficient. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.